And today's scripture comes out of 1 Corinthians uh, 9, 19 through 23. If I can get it loaded up here. All right. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23 says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not a subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Good stuff. Well done, Cabin. That is the word of the Lord. Ah, this morning, um, we are concluding our mini-series on the truth, and for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the truth of the gospel and looking at uh, the implications of that truth and how it changes us and transforms us, and that, uh, as our memory verse says, we are messengers and ambassadors of this truth. We declare this truth. We share this truth, and that's what we're really getting into this week in, in talking about reaching people with it. And it's the truth of the gospel. And gospel is translated as simply good news. And I was thinking about it being good news. And I, I love this question. I got it one time from a, a barista at Starbucks. They didn't say, how are you doing? How many of you love that question, right? How are you doing? Well, do you really want to know? But instead of saying, how are you doing? They said, tell me something good from this week. And I thought, wow. That was insightful. That was interesting. That provoked something beyond just that I'm fine. Give me my coffee. <laughs> Tell me something good, right? What's good? And, and if you think about it, if we know something good, we are bound to share it. If you know a good movie, you tell people about it. If you got a good show that you're watching, you tell people about it. You got a good deal on a vacuum, you're going to tell people about it, right? You got a good chiropractor, you're going to tell people about it, right? You're going to tell people about what you know to be good. Once you find something good, you want to tell people about it being good, whatever it is. And yet, when we talk about the good news or the gospel, how many of us have that same desire to share it as we would a TV show that we found on Netflix or a chiropractor that we found in town? Do we have the same desire to share the good news of Jesus? And we see in this passage, Paul is motivated. He has this strong urge and desire, as he says in verse 23, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. He wants to share the good news of Jesus. He wants to get that gospel message out to where? Everywhere. He wants everyone to find out about it. In fact, in that passage, he talks about it five different times. And when you start to see repetition, we should all just like, bing, 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 we should pay attention. To repetition. Five times in that short passage, Paul talks about winning people over to Christ, bringing them to Jesus. Various translations use various uh, phrasings, but he talks about bringing people to Christ. 
five times in four, four verses. You see that repetition? Paul is trying to get at this idea. I have this desire, as he's writing it, I have this desire to see God's family grow. I've got something good, and I want other people to know about it. I want other people to be set free of their sin, other people to know who Jesus is. I want Jesus to be known. The truth of God is good news. The gospel is good news, and he wants to share it. And the way he sees this, this is, more, this is not a, a, a personal gospel. This isn't a private gospel. This is a global gospel. The gospel is meant to go global. The gospel is meant to be shared worldwide. Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world. Go into all the world and make followers of Jesus. Not just go into all of yourself. Go into all the corners of your living room. He said, go into all the world, meaning the gospel, the good news of Jesus is meant to be global. It's meant to be something that's shared with everyone, which for Paul, this at that time, for him to have this approach, for Jesus to say this, this is so countercultural, and we, we don't always see this in the time, but it's countercultural at its time, because in the time, man, spiritual people, holy people, religious people, they built fences rather than gates, and yet Paul is all about building gates. Everyone else wanted to build fences. Fences are what? Fences are private. They keep people out, secluded, safe. How many of you have a fence around something in your house? Right? Yes. And then you have gates. Gates are open. Gates are inviting. Gates are inclusive. Gates are accessible. Believe me, I know this because people decided to come through our gate that weren't invited. We had to put locks on our gates to keep them out. It kind of defeats the analogy that I'm trying to get at. But people saw the gate and were like, I guess I can just go in there when nobody's home. No, please don't. But that's the messaging that comes across from a gate different than a fence. A fence says stay out. And what was happening in that culture, Paul grew up in this Jewish culture that was very much about fences and boundaries and divisions and seclusion and factions, holy huddles. They would not associate with people that were not Jewish. They would not associate with people that were unclean, people that were dirty, people that were impure, people that were sick, people that ate differently than them. Yeah, they didn't eat the same as everyone else, and if you ate differently, you stay away. They created these holy huddles based on all these different reasons. They were really good at building fences, and so when Paul drives this idea of, I go and I bring the gospel everywhere, it's global, that's countercultural. He goes about it differently, and he's tearing down fences and building up gates and opening these things up. He's popping bubbles. He's breaking up huddles. He wants the whole gospel to reach the whole world. So how did he get there? How does Paul go from a good little Jewish boy that loves his huddles to somebody that says, we got to bring the gospel of Jesus to everyone? How does somebody who, and we can associate with this idea, the Pacific Northwest freeze, Right? We don't like to talk to people unless we've planned it out three weeks in advance. How does Paul change? What changes for him that the gospel message shifts him so radically from this private huddle personality that says, get away from me, you're impure, you're unclean, you're not like me, to this, we got to bring it to everyone. I don't care who they are. We got to talk about Jesus. We got to bring the gospel, the good news of Christ reconciling humanity to the Creator. What changed? 
he has an encounter with Jesus. The gospel changed him. The gospel is what radically changed his life. And you read about Paul's encounter with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in Acts chapter 9. Very familiar story if you've been around church for a long time. Paul is walking down this road trying to destroy the church, has this encounter with Jesus where he literally falls to his knees and goes blind for a temporary period of time. Has this moment with Jesus. Jesus speaks to him and scales fall off his eyes. He sees the world differently from that point forward. He used to see Jesus as an enemy. He used to see Christianity as foolish. He used to think division was the only way to purity. But now he has this vision change. It's like his soul goes through LASIK surgery, right, or gets some eyeglasses on him. The gospel changes the way that we see. Paul has an encounter with Jesus that so drastically changes his perspective. Think about the gospel, this message, this good news that God would send his son to die in our place, pay our consequences, to resurrect from the grave, to defeat the power of sin, death, hell, Satan. That's good news. To reconcile a broken humanity with a whole God and bring us into wholeness and bring us into restoration, to bring us into eternity, to give us those promises. That is good news. And when we begin to understand that and we believe that and we are transformed by that, it radically changes our vision. It changes the way that we see Jesus. You used to see Jesus this way. But once you encounter the gospel, we see Jesus different. It radically changes the way that we see ourselves. I once was broken. I once was unlovable. I once was a mistake. Well, now I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm restored. I'm loved. The gospel changes the way that we see our world. The gospel changes the way we see our perspectives, uh, the way we see our purposes. Paul has that moment in Acts chapter 9. You can read about this idea that went from destroying the church to building the church. But the vision change doesn't just stop there. The vision change that the gospel has on our lives, the gospel changes the way that we see people. The way that we see the people in our church, the way that we see people in our community, the way that we just see humanity is different because of the way the gospel has transformed our vision. And Paul talks about this in his later letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, writing to the same church at a different time, but he's writing to them later and talking about the vision change that the gospel can have. Look at this passage out of chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. I'm going to read it. It'll be up on the screen. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. The gospel changes the way I see people. At one time, we thought of Christ merely as a human, from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. That means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who has brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. So what Paul is saying is we used to see Jesus from a human perspective. We used to see Jesus as what? Foolish. That's ridiculous. You believe in Jesus being the son of God. We used to see him as folklore. Oh, that's a nice story. Put him on a felt board and he's got his robe and his little sash and there's Jesus, right? He's folklore to some. Some, he is fake. He is fictionalized. He is just something that was created. We used to see Jesus through a lens and the gospel as Paul says, 
radically changes that. We grapple with the gospel. We encounter Jesus in the midst of our understanding of that. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we begin to see who Jesus really is. He's not fake folklore and foolish. He's now what? Our Savior, our King, our healer. He's our teacher. He's our friend. He's our ambassador, our mediator between us and God. That's the gospel perspective of Jesus that takes place. Paul is saying that same change of vision not only happens the way that we see Jesus, but the way that we see humanity, the way that we see people, right? He says, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. What's the human point of view on humanity? How does humanity see humans? Loving, wonderful people. Let's embrace everyone. No, we categorize people, right? We classify people. We group them up. We look at them and we judge them based on the things that they say, the things that they post on Facebook, the things that they like on Facebook, the way that they dress, the way that they look, the way that they act. Our human perspective on people is what? We got burnouts. We got crazies. We got losers. People are hopeless. The human perspective on humanity is, man, there are some mistakes out there. There are lost causes. There are people who are dirty. There are deplorable. There are commodities. Sometimes the human perspective on humanity is we view people as commodities to be used and consumed. Sometimes people are just viewed as different. Metrics. You ever felt like you were a metric, a number? drop in the bucket. See, that's the human perspective on humanity. And Paul says the gospel is going to radically change the way that we see people where, what does he say? We no longer see them from a human perspective. That means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, the new life has begun. We view people as new creations. We view people as image bearers of God, which means every person that we come in contact with is somebody that Jesus died for. That's the way the gospel changes our perspective. They're no longer lost causes and dirties and deplorables and losers and crazies and hopeless and whoa, wackos. We view them as people who bear the image of God, who desperately need the kingdom of God in their lives, and they belong in the family of God. They need the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel perspective on humanity, that Jesus came to die for them too. This is the vision change that Paul is having in his own story, in his own life. He used to see people as dirty, impure, radical, unspiritual, heathens. Now he sees them image bearers of God, created by God, loved by God. To see people the way that Jesus sees them, as a new creation. You even look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, you see that Jesus was really good at building gates rather than fences. Jesus saw people in a different lens, a different perspective. Look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you'll see, what does he do? He hangs out with men and women. He hangs out with rich and poor. He hangs out with the religious and the not-so-religious people. He has dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors and, you know, cheaters and liars and thieves and all of these people because Jesus just, that's how he looked at the world. He saw 
people differently. Everyone else cringed when he hung out with these people, but Jesus was drawn to them in a way where he saw them differently. Even look at the 12 disciples. How many of you want to be like the 12 disciples, right? We all want to be like the 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 followers, and they were a hodgepodge of mess. From a human point of view, what did you have? You had blue-collar fishermen. You had an anti-government zealot also hanging out with a tax-collecting pro-government guy. Imagine the conversations that they had together, right? You had the tax collector and the zealot. Kind of sounds like our world right now. You had pro-government, anti-government, hanging out with Jesus, walking along towns, doing miracles, seeing amazing things. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, I see something nobody else sees. We're going to build some gates, not fences. The question is, do we see people the way Jesus sees them? If we won't allow the gospel to transform the way that we see people, we will never cross the social boundaries. We will never cross the social fences. If we don't allow the gospel to change the way that we see people, we will do what our culture does, which is what? Cancel. If I don't allow the gospel to change the way I see you, when you bother me, I will cancel you. I will divide from you. I will isolate from you. I will get rid of you. I will not fight for a relationship with you. If you step on my toes, I'm done. But see, if I see Jesus, the, if I see Jesus, if I see you the way Jesus sees you, I will fight for you, not against you. I will not belittle you like our culture would say. Our culture wants to divide, it wants to hate, wants to diminish, wants to create us versus them mentalities, wants to create little pockets of like-mindedness. But the gospel does it differently. The truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do does not faction off. And if you're seeing that in Christian circles, I question, has the gospel really transformed the way that we see people? Because Jesus came to die for everyone, not just certain people. If we can't allow the gospel to change the way that I see people, I can't do what Paul goes on to say in verse 22. When he says in verse 22, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. How can you do that if you don't like people? How can you do that if you think you're better than people? How can we find common ground with people if we're belittling them, canceling them, dividing wealth from them, creating us versus them mentalities based on whatever reasons and characteristics and variables we want to use? I can't do what Paul's saying. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Paul's like that kid in high school who could just go from lunch table to lunch table you guys have one in your school? He, could just, he or she could just go like, hang out with the jocks and then the band people and the drama geeks and the mathletes and all these people. They could just go from table to table and like, everyone just accepted that person. Like, how is that? How is that possible? And the nerds and the mean girls and everybody, they could just like, that's Paul. He has this ability to go into these different groups and we see this in verses 20 through 22, reaching these different groups because he understands as he's fighting for this common ground, he understands kind of that idea of like different strokes for different folks. What works for one group isn't going to work for the other. 
But the commonality that he's trying to pinpoint is for the sake of the gospel. Can I find common ground with you so that we could talk about what really matters? Not the Seahawks, not the weather, not your garden, not your 401k, not your boat. I want to talk about the gospel. That's what I want to talk about. That's what Paul is fighting for. Not for politics, not for agendas, not for social justice. He's fighting for what? gospel. He's finding a common ground to talk about movies? No, he's finding a common ground to talk about the gospel because he wants to do this, doing everything I can to save some. So who does he reach out to? He reaches out in verse 20 to the Jews. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. Not to tell them that I was better than them, but to go win them over for Jesus. Paul would go into the Jewish synagogue and he would teach and he knew the Old Testament so well, he could bring the, those scriptures to life and point them to Jesus in a way that was so unique. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. Do you know that Paul had a protege named Timothy and this young pastor named Timothy at one point, Paul has to convince him, hey, Timothy, we're going to have you circumcised as an adult. Yikes! Right? Like, Timothy's like, well, where did I sign up for that? I don't remember that in your altar call, Paul. Uh, when you're called to ministry, you're like, that is not on our Barry Dairy Days fine print, right? You want to volunteer. But Paul has Timothy circumcised. Why? So that when Timothy is around the Jewish people, bringing the gospel message of Jesus to them, they do not discredit him because the fact that he wasn't going to be circumcised was going to just, he loses all credibility. Amongst the Jews, we will be like Jews. Verse 20, under the law, those under the law. When I was with those who would follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I would bring to Christ those who are under the law. So Paul sees a category of people, not just the Jewish people, but those who, were, who held to strict legalistic even, regulations and rules, things about Sabbath and food and diets and other restrictions of clothing and washing and, you know, they didn't wear polyester and they didn't have mildew and all these things that they held to the Mosaic law so rigidly. Well, Paul knew, as he says, right, like, I'm not held to the law. I'm not subject to the law. I can eat what I want to eat. I can eat pork and I'm not going to hell. That's basically what Paul's saying. But uh, if I'm going to be around people that don't eat pork, I'm not going to eat pork. If I'm around people that don't eat gluten, I'm not going to eat gluten. Okay. For the glory of God, I will not eat gluten. Because he understands that his salvation is not dependent upon that. But he understands if he's eating with them and he's chomping on some bacon and they believe bacon is satanic, he's going to lose all credibility for the gospel. I drink alcohol, but if I'm around somebody that doesn't drink alcohol, I don't drink in front of them to say, like, well, I'm saved by grace. <laughs> I will ask somebody, hey, do you drink? No, I don't. Okay, great. I'm going to have an iced tea, please. If they say, yes, I do, would you mind if I drank? Now, we'll get into more about giving up our freedoms and our liberties in a couple weeks or in a couple months when we talk about freedom as one of our, our mini series. But it was all for the sake of people coming to know Christ. 
He goes on in verse 21, for those under the law, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. So Paul understands there's people that really love the law, and then there's people that don't want anything to do with it. And Paul understood, and he didn't feel this pressure to uphold all of these rules, all of these laws. And so he would eat what he would eat, drink what he would drink, do what he would do. Verse 22, he says, and then I'm, I'm around the weak. When I am with those who are weak, I share in their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Now the weak that he's talking about are not those who skip Planet Fitness. He is talking about weak in an uh, intellectual capacity. Those who have more of a weak understanding, a simple-mindedness, a less educated, less logical. And, and what you hear Paul saying here is, yeah, I could go toe-to-toe with the best debaters and philosophers and teachers of the time in Greece, but I could also bring the gospel to somebody who never graduated high school, who didn't know how to read, who didn't think about all the intricacies and the depths of capacities of all of eternities and pneumatologies and eschatologies and hermeneutics and all of these big $10 words, he could bring it in the simplest fashion. That no matter what group he was with, and Paul is painting this picture that he would intentionally, and I think he could just keep going, right? He could just keep going with these different pockets of different people that he would reach, various cultures, various religious backgrounds, various races, various education levels, various political affiliations or economic statuses or sexual orientations or whatever it is, Paul would be able to say, I could sit down with them and find a common ground. That's the thing. For Paul, it's about finding that common ground. Where can both of us overlap here? It's kind of like those Venn diagrams in high school Right? Remember the two circles? You have that little bit of space that overlapped. Well, Paul is looking for that little sliver that overlaps. It's so easy to find the things that fill out the outer spaces that we're not alike in. But Paul's looking at this group of people, whatever group of people it is. He says, I can find that sliver. I can find that commonality. I can find the thing that we share. That intersection point, despite our differences, allows me to understand that there is a similarity. And how does he do that? How do we do that? How do we find common ground? By learning to ask questions. Not leading with our opinions, but asking a question about somebody. To listen. To learn, to like actually listen to what they say, what they're saying with their words, what are they saying with their body language, what are they saying with their tone, what are they, you know, are we listening? Are we in the moment? When we're trying to find that commonality, are we really in that moment or are we planning our next moment? Are we really listening or are we planning our attack of how we're going to prove them wrong? Are we really asking questions or are we just trying to build up an arsenal of what we're going to prove wrong. You see, Paul had this ability to interpret people groups and cultures and communities. Ability to 
learn how to speak their language, if you will. Even if it wasn't literally a different language, he could learn to speak their social language. What were their values? What were their beliefs? What were their things that they found their identity in? And that's what Paul is looking for, was what is it that they're trying to find their identity and their purpose and their value and their significance in? Where is their love? Where is their passion? And who would do that? Or do we retract? Do we step back? Oh, that's not for me. That's not somebody I want to be around. You know, a way you can do this that uh, I've recently started to adapt to periodically is um, when you see somebody with tattoos. Now, I don't have any tattoos, right? I'm not anti-tattoo, but I just don't. I think I'm scared of, like, what I would get a tattoo of forever. Like, I have to look at that forever. But a way that you can engage with culture and find common grounds, for some of us, we're like, tattoo people, whoa, hey, back off, right? We might step back from people that are just sleeves up on the neck and all of that. But you know a good question you can ask somebody? You can try to fit in with them. Don't say, what do your tattoos mean? Say, what's your ink? Tell me about your ink. I don't have any ink. No ink. Just farmer's tans, apparently. <laughs> I got no ink, but I know that that's some lingo. I learned to speak. No, it's not. The people with ink are telling me, don't ask that question. But I ask the question, and then I listen. And I talked to one guy, and he, he had this big tattoo here, and he just began to share about how it just embodied his philosophy in life and what it was tied to and the history of where he found it and, and how it was important to him. I didn't ask him so that I could prove him wrong. And say, well, let's open up to John chapter 14 and let me tell you how you're wrong. But what I was trying to do in that moment was find common ground. And I began to see that this young man is looking for purpose. He's looking for direction. He's looking for a compass. And his tattoo was an embodiment of his searching. You see, it's possible for us, no matter who they are, no matter where people come from, what Paul is getting at in this text is I'm willing to live in a way where no one is off limits for the gospel. No one is off limits for the gospel. And I'm so compelled to connect with them, not for my own personal affirmation or validation. And that's the, that's the flaw in our humanity is sometimes we want to connect with people to make friends and feel good about ourselves. That's not why we're doing this. We're finding common ground, but that eventually they will find Jesus. So they'll find the truth. And I believe as Paul is talking here, it is possible to contextualize our methods not the, not, we're not contextualizing and not changing the gospel message, but we're changing the way we deliver it. We're changing the way that we connect with people, the way that we talk with people. We're contextualizing our approach so that we can reach people for the gospel. People do this all the time. Youth pastors do it every week. They don't contextualize the gospel in the way that I do. No, Tyler has to bring it in another TikTok-y Facebook way. You know, you gotta, you gotta do it in this, you know, whatever, cool, hip, Gen Z manner that I just can't understand. I don't know what a TikTok is. 
I've never watched a TikTok. I don't, I think I'm too old to know what a TikTok is now. But if he can bring the gospel through TikToking, that's what youth pastors are doing. They're reaching young people. Coaches do it with athletes. They can bring the principles of the gospel through athletics. Missionaries go into an unreached people group and they learn their culture so they can reach them. Starting a new church. We use the phrase planting a new church. Why? Because it's going in and it's growing there. It's not just getting people saved. It's growing a new work of God there. Boy, it's all about finding this common ground and keeping the gospel the main thing. And I think if we keep the gospel the main thing and the main driving force of why we're doing this, it'll allow us and empower us to cross those social boundaries to say no one is off limits for the gospel. And I want to just close with this question. Who are you inspired to bring to Jesus? Paul said it five times. I bring these people to Jesus. I bring these people to Jesus. I bring these people to Jesus. Well, who are you inspired to bring to Jesus? My prayer is that the gospel message would shake up our lives. Even if you've heard the gospel 100,000 times, which would be a lot of church services, but if you know the gospel inside and out, my prayer is that this morning, as I was praying for us for, for, for this moment, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would begin to shake something up in us, to stir something up. Because I think sometimes when we're in church a long time, we become like that bottle of salad dressing in your fridge. Anybody got that Italian dressing that just like separates? For those that don't eat salad, how about the mustard that you just have, that mustard bottle, and you go to squirt it, and it's just liquid? Gross. We gotta shake it up. The gospel has this capacity and this power. The Holy Spirit has this power to shake and stir something within us to begin to see the world differently and care about the world in a new way. That there are people out there in your community that I pray your heart breaks for them in this moment. Would you just close your eyes for one moment? I want you to just. Pray and have a conversation with God even right now and begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would stir something, shake something up in you. Who is God inspiring you to bring to Jesus? Paul said no one's off limits. Is it young people? Is it older people? Is it single parents? Is it young marrieds? Is it people from blended families? Is it Hispanics? Is it people from another culture represented around you? Is it people that have been hurt by the church? Man, maybe your heart breaks for people that have been hurt by the church. Is it teen moms? Maybe in all of our cultural discussions that are happening right now, what's really breaking in you is God, how do we bring the gospel to somebody in a desperate moment like that? Break my heart for the teen mothers in our community. Is it the homeless? That we wouldn't allow our, our social viewpoints and worldviews to define our perspective on people. Break our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment that you break our hearts with compassion 
that the gospel that is meant not just for us in this room and those watching online, it is meant for everyone in this community begin to shake us, inspire us with a desire to bring the truth of who you are and your love to this world. That we will do anything in our capacity to find that common ground. Holy Spirit, stir something in your church. A new passion, a new desire, a new inspiration. The gospel is meant to go. Church, as you just continue to stay in that reflective moment, I want to just read this passage one more time. I'm going to read it from another translation, from the message translation. And I want these words to just soak as we marinate on it together, as we just allow the word of God to soak into our hearts before we head out into our world. He says in the message translation, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to anyone and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 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 Fire me up a little bit there, Tyler. Um, with, well, I'm going to invite Tyler, our translator of the TikTokian world, and he's going to teach us what TikTok is. No, uh, <laughs> tell me about your ink, bro. You got, got no any ink. yet. Yeah, not yet. Got I, no I'm ink. planning on it. Oh, I got oh. some things brewing. That is not one of our questions we're going to yeah. answer. Uh, we're going to take a few moments and uh, conclude our service. Throughout this series, you've seen the prompt to text your questions in. We did have a few questions come in. Um, and uh, we may not get to all of the questions that were asked, but we wanted to just qu quickly address some of those that came up. So, yeah. Uh, First question. Yes. How would you respond to people that say they are spiritual but not religious? Spiritual but not religious. Well, I think with a question like that, uh, you there there is room for for follow up questions and and wanting to ask more to be expanded on uh my assumption is is that there are people who uh when they say not religious they mean not church i don't want the the rigors of rules and church and legalism and that is what's implied there right that would yeah, be my rule guess rule followers rule followers yeah. right but we are spiritual beings we have a spirit we have an intangible part of us that is unknown and unseen and, and very spiritual, and, and the truth of the gospel resonates with that component of, of our being, the Holy Spirit, right? God's yeah. spirit, he has a spirit, it connects, 
and, and we talked about that. But um, how do you respond to people that say that they're spiritual but not religious? I, I, I think it's this idea of, you know, I think we're all spiritual beings. We're all, we desire for answers to our questions. Um, I would want to know what do they mean by religious? Mm-hmm. And if it's a desire to resist um, being told what to do, I think at some point we all have to understand, though, that it's, you know, while we aren't saved by rules and we aren't um, made right with God by our rule following, the gospel does compel us to change. Yeah, the spirit is a convictor. It's a teacher. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a, a guide, right? So there is that aspect of of teaching and being convicted that, hey, I'm doing something that's not right, right? Like, there's that part of uh, yeah. being spiritual that is part of that, yeah. you know? The gospel drives us to a point of surrender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, To say, I am not good enough to get into heaven without Jesus. And it's in that response of surrender that then leads to a lifestyle of surrender. I'm willing to surrender it all. Paul mm-hmm. says, right in the passage we just read, I voluntarily voluntarily give it all up for the sake of the gospel. And so while I don't want to hold to religion in the sense of jump through these hoops and God will love you more, mm-hmm. I do believe in, in spiritual discipline and the idea of following him with that spiritual fervor and training and pursuit. Um, and I would just want to expand on that more with the, with the person that says, mm-hmm. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Um, I think that Really what they're saying is, I have a desire. I've got questions that need answering. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, question number two. Hopefully I say this right. Why doesn't the church include the apocryphal, Mm -hmm. we're going to go with that one, Mm -hmm. text in the Bible? Why does it not include the apocryphal text in the Bible? Yeah, I think this this question stems from uh, us talking about truth and the truth of the gospel and the scriptures and, and things like that. Um, at one point, we mentioned that there's other letters that Paul wrote uh, that aren't included. And um, with that, there's the Apocrypha, which is, is a collection of letters um, and different books that were contemporary at times to different times in ancient history, but we don't hold those to be um, canon. Thank you for that uh, word from the audience. We don't hold that to be the, the, the biblical canon, the truth. Uh, of the anthology of letters and books that we have, we don't insert those in. Now, other religions do, other sects of things like the, the Catholic Church does hold to some of those things. Um, and I think where, you know, biblical scholars have argued the authenticity of letters and things and, and the way things were assembled and put together, and there's so much information out there. If you really want to go on a deep dive, have fun. Um, I think where it comes down to it is, yes, there's a logical side to how the Bible was assembled, and then there's a side where I also have to trust by faith that God inspired those people to make those selections, that these were the timeless truths for us to understand the heart of who God is. Yep. And, um, and so those things can be interesting. You can read those for maybe historical context or what's going on, but we can't rely on that as scriptural truth the way I would look at the Bible. Ditto. All right. Question number three. Yeah. You ready? I think so. Okay. It's a tough one. Okay. All right. 
Is it wrong to care about social issues passionately? I care about things. You care about things? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, this question came when we talked about the distorted gospel. Um, we had some, some follow-up question. I, I remember when this question came up of, well, is it wrong to care about those things, right? Because we listed out a bunch of things that people can care about and be passionate about, politics and social issues and racial injustice and abortion and the environment, right? Is it wrong to care about those things? No, I don't think it is. And if, if that's what you heard, I, I, I think that this question is just helping to bring some clarity. It's not that you shouldn't care about education or the environment or um, racial injustice. It's when that topic circumvents the gospel's priority in your heart and in your message. If that's the thing I'm fighting for, is whatever issue it is, then the gospel becomes secondary and the gospel is meant to be primary. I think something in my life, too, I've noticed that when I care about certain issues and when someone disagrees with me on that, I see those people differently and then I'm not able to go to them and preach the gospel to them because if I don't want to talk to them or if I'm angry at them because they disagree with me, there is this... um, not a congruency that can happen between us there where I can bring the gospel to that them. Venn diagram. We yeah. begin to focus so much on what's outside rather than that sliver of common ground and those social issues yeah. become the thing that we can no longer see what unites us. Right. We see only our differences yeah. in how we vote or how we stand on these things. And it's not that um, some of those issues are not bad things. Yeah. It's just that we fight for that. We care so deeply about those things. I could care so deeply about you know, the environment and fight for that for the sake of I lose influence yeah. for the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's why you won't hear me talk a lot about politics from the front. I won't tell you who to vote for. Um, and if that bothers you, um, well, it's because we've, we've, we represent all sides of it. And I'm not here to vote for a candidate. I'm here to point us to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Last one. I don't know. It's kind of quiet out there. I'm a little nervous now. I'm, we're getting into politics and apocryphal letters and all of yeah. these fun things. You're doing great. Am all I? Right. All right. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Last question. How yep. do you become all things to all people without compromising? Yes. Kind of about talking about like compromising what we believe in, kind of that first question about rules that we follow, all that yeah. stuff, you know. How do you do that? Yeah, and that question, I would think, really correlates with today's message. How do I go find common ground with people but not compromise and become this kind of chameleon Christianity, Mm -hmm. right? How do I not blend in with, well, I'm around these people, I do this, and I'm around these people, I do this, and is it possible to bring the gospel to people without bending on what I believe and who I am? Um, I believe it is possible, and... In thinking about an example that comes to mind is, and I read about it in a book and then followed them a lot, uh, in the early 2000s, there was a church called Triple X Church, and their philosophy, their, their ministry focus, uh, not philosophy, their ministry focus, the people that God had radically stirred them to go reach were porn stars. Gasp, right? We just took Whoa. the air out of the room. No. Um, was people that were in the industry or caught up in the industry or people that were addicted to pornography, and they would go to these conventions, right? And I, 
I don't, we don't have any pictures. No, that's um, probably not a good idea. But they would go to these conventions, and they would share the love of Jesus with these folks. Is it possible to be a light in the darkness without compromising? Well, the more I learned about these people, yeah, they didn't compromise their beliefs. They still talked about the love of Jesus being for all people. They said Jesus loves porn stars, which is just radical and makes some religious people really uncomfortable, right? They would hand out Bibles to people. They would pray with them in these moments. They would answer their questions. They weren't compromising on their beliefs and saying, well, yeah, just continue to do whatever you want and continue to do this and continue, you know, they weren't bending that and compromising that. But at the same time, they also weren't compromising their behavior. And I think that's what people are fearful of is, well, I'm going to compromise not just my beliefs, but my behavior. And, and Paul, in that verse that we read this morning, that Cabin read, talks about, as I'm reaching people, I'm not compromising who I am and what I believe and what I do. And I think that that triple X church is also an example of that. They didn't compromise their behaviors <laughs> and, and start participating in the conference they still were a light in the darkness in a way where they didn't have to engage in order to connect. And I do think it's possible. Um, Paul says it, what was the verse? Verse 20, fill for time. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Nice. It says, I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. He didn't ignore the law. He obeyed the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Paul didn't compromise on those two things. And so when we are around people that are different than us, we don't have to blur those lines in order to still show them Jesus. Jesus was around people like we talked about. How did Jesus hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and religious people and non-religious people? How did he hang around all these people? He didn't compromise his beliefs. He didn't compromise his behavior. So I think it is possible. It's just a matter of going in with that mindset of I, I don't have to We have to be comfortable with sticking out. Yeah. I think that's we gotta Thank be you. the light of the world. I think like in my life I I adopted this uh potty mouth right because I was at, at college and I was like I want to be a cool kid and I'm going to talk in a way that is not glorifying God at all right and um, I didn't want to stand out I wanted to blend in right but we are meant to be the light of the world yeah. we're not meant to be the I don't know the opposite of that right but um, we're meant to stick out and, yeah. um, and I think we can we have to be we have to learn to be comfortable with that and um, I was talking with you students on Wednesday about it's hard to stick out and it's hard to to want to be different. But when we just are comfortable, man, I love Jesus and that's cool. And I, I'm okay with that. And if you don't agree with that, I'm still going to love Jesus, right? And I'm going to continue. Um, I'm not going to co compromise my faith um, to make myself feel more comfortable yeah. um, or, or someone else um, like me. You know, that yeah. that's a that's a real battle is if we're people pleasers, then it's it's hard to do that. So... As you yeah. say that, I'm just thinking that that compromise is really rooted in a desire to be accepted and yeah. affirmed yep. uh, by people yep. rather than how God sees me, Yeah. right? And, and I desire, and I have more of a fear of you right. or man than I do an honor and a reverence for God and who he's made me to yep. be. And so I'm willing to 
blur those lines and sand off those edges and make those changes internally uh, to what I preach or what I believe or how I act because I want you to like me. Yeah. Well, you just we like want to be me. liked. Yeah. And if that's the desire, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not saying change everything so that, you know, <laughs> don't, don't go hang out with all these different people so they like you. Right. You hang out with these people so that they follow Jesus, not follow you. And, and that fear of man and that insecurity and that desire for affirmation. I'm not saying that that's everybody's symptom, but that is huge for me in my journey. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. In making those yeah. adaptations or compromises. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the end of our QA. Yeah, that's all the questions. That was the last one. Yeah. Tyler, will you pray for us and send us out into yeah. our world? Yeah. God, I just I pray that we will uh, be people that um, just are so in love with you, God, that we are people that uh, follow you in your ways. We're, we're people that can have boldness, uh, a courage that only comes from you, comes from the spirit that, that lives inside us, God. And can we be people that, that take the whole gospel to uh, the whole world and uh, just love them well? And um, like we were just we we're talking about, God, can we can we not um, approve the the exception of other humans, of other people, but um, just rest and have peace in the fact that you love us and you're for us and you're with us, God. Uh, we just ask that you are with us as we leave um, this this locker room, if you will, that we get to go out into our world and um, we get to uh, live our lives for you, God. We just ask that you're with us and uh, that you give us the words to say. Uh, God, we trust you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.